As is customary, at the end of every year, there are numerous lists talking about the trends or predictions for 2024. Well, today we're adding to that list, but in a slightly different way. We spoke with one of Adelaide's most renowned researchers to talk about some of the more underlying trends that really focus on the people side of things. Basically impossible to predict the future. I guess that's kind of a really a really big one. And I guess it's a really big fan of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I think Charlie Munger just died at wise old age of 98. But um, I heard Warren Buffett once use a quote, you observe a lot from just watching. So I guess that idea of just watching and seeing the patterns and trends and, and just even being present to know what's occurring. And I guess that sense where research often is about not necessarily understanding what people want, but understanding kind of who they are and what they do. We covered four ideas and tried to identify some opportunities within each of them, but we could have easily spoken for a lot longer. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Idea Overflow. We've got a very special guest with us today, Jason Dunstone, founder and CEO of market research firm Square Holes uh, and publisher of the weekly EMAG Think. That's with an exclamation mark at the end. Jason's been involved in the space for nearly 30 years, started Square Holes back in 2004, which has helped hundreds, if not thousands of businesses in Australia and abroad um, to really understand their market, their customers, um, that whole bunch more in that research space. And uh, impressively, last year in 2022, he was awarded the title of Fellow of the Australian Research Society um, for that contribution to the industry. Only the second ever person from South Australia since it started in 1955. Uh, so very impressive. And welcome, Jason. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Patrick. One question I wanted to uh, to start with. So in the intro there, the company's called Square Holes. Why is it called Square Holes? Mm, I'll, 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 I'll answer in a quick way. Right? I guess I've always sort of been quite big on on names and brands. And we, we had four investors at the start and I gradually kind of pulled them back and brought them out over time. But we kind of threw a whole lot of names in. And I guess sort of at the start, I didn't want to have it so it was my name. And I remember having a big debate with one of the guys involved at the start, not involved on a day-to-day basis, but put some money in around that all successful consultancies have, have somebody's name. And I'm thinking, oh, that's just BS. Like, that's just rubbish. And, I'm, and I didn't want that. I, didn't, I wanted to have it so it was, was bigger. So we had a whole lot of names thrown in and some of them were just sort of shockers. Like you just look at it, I think it was Deep Canyon I think it might have been Cock and Ball, might have been one of them was thrown in. And I was kind of looking at going, looking, finding names that were kind of quite interesting to look at. And I was really quite big on trying to find a dot com, like this, like a dot com or a dot com dot au. And, and Square Holes just had this nice rhythm about it and, and rationalizing what it meant and kind of even what it meant sort of, yeah, it had lots of meanings. It's kind of a bit quirky, a little bit funny. And we, when we're having like the domain name was about to hit its expiry, the dot com, and, and went into redemption. So it was sort of not renewed and we, we snapped it up. And so we kind of, I think we we're quite lucky to kind of get that. And it was just like, it was just a really lovely brand. I guess if you went deep down, it was even probably subconscious. It was when Steve Jobs first came back to Apple in 1997, they had the Think Different campaign that talks about the, the round pegs and the square holes, the people who see things differently. And we really didn't start kind of almost consciously rejoicing on that, knowing that that was a campaign that had a similar ethos to our business until a few years later. Sometimes I think a lot of these things you post-rationalise it really. <laughs> trying to be different and trying to be innovative and, and often market research, people roll their eyes at what it is and those people used to be the people that call at night to annoy you on the phone. Now that's not a thing that occurs. And we wanted to have a say. So we went, wow, that's cool. I like what that's about. And kind of didn't 
it was a little bit kind of cryptic to kind of work out where it was. And, and we, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of a risk when you pick a name. You don't want people to go, what the hell are you? And they, they don't take you seriously. But I think it's been a really, yeah, one thing we've done well is the name's been good. <laughs> yeah, I think we can totally empathize there. Coming up with a name for this podcast was the hardest thing about starting the podcast because you want a name that resonates, that means something. Ideally, it has a deeper meaning or that people can kind of make that connection. But yeah. And, and it matters. You know, I think, I guess that I have different groups and different marketers who go, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just the name. You go, well, it, it's like everything. And you want to be unique. You want to be the only one in the world that has that name if you can possibly be. I, li- I literally just told someone, oh, I'm, I'm having a podcast with Jason from Square Holes. And the first reaction, the first words out of their mouth were, great name. Jason or Square Holes? <laughs> uh, square-, <laughs> square Holes, but <laughs> hey. No, yeah. I like that. And we've just gone through and I've always had a trademark and we've been trademarking it overseas. So there we go. We'll see what happens. There you go. Now, obviously, the podcast, we've come with business ideas and Patrick and I are always thinking of of new ideas and how we can um, think of something different. I'd be interested to find out how do you stay curious and keep abreast of all these latest developments? Because obviously, working in that space, you see a lot of clients. How do you personally keep abreast of things on top of seeing this all come through as part of your everyday life? I guess being innately curious, it sort of sounds a bit cliche, but it, it is about kind of being curious and being open-minded and being willing to look at things differently. And I wonder whether it's sort of in... Like research is not a massive sector and I think it's always like a lot of sectors, like they're changing. So I think there's always that degree of burning depth, the, a sense of achieving something and, and having good clients, but the grounds may be crumbling from beneath you. So you kind of want other computer game, you're trying to kind of keep moving. So you're always kind of knowing that you've got to keep abreast of what's occurring otherwise that you're not going to survive like at the moment it's ai like how are you going to survive ai but i think that's quite interesting i think i'd say in most professions science entrepreneurialism research marketing like it is just being innately curious and kind of almost like looking forward i'm a big fan of like the beginner's mind and and, and over, overcoming kind of your own biases and sort of just your own confirmation bias about only looking for information that's there. So I think it's just having part of your values is always out there questioning your thinking and looking at new evidence that disproves what you thought you already knew. I think that's sort of really probably at the core of it really. And yeah, always watching, always sort of seeing when you're walking around and, and doing the work you do. I think that's important. Absolutely. So, so just a final question for you, Jason, before you get into some trends just in terms of you know you've had a very successful career i mean i was wondering if there was anything any particular trend or idea that you found to be surprising or fascinating something that's wrong with you over the years yeah i think it's remaining like strong in having an ethos and being confident to push through on that like i know that like i guess our business is about research and our taglines inspired by real people and they've all this technology and everything occurring you go we're still getting down to the like the root of everything is it's about people and like so much changes and I wonder sometimes whether the key is finding emerging trends but maybe finding the things that don't ever change like we still love our family and friends and like we still hopefully like to get out and about and see live music or enjoy life so I think it's actually maybe sometimes it's the trends and how they're evolving and how we experience them but maybe it's finding the things that don't ever change in a way what are those truths that kind of really yeah, they kind of remain consistent. Maybe that's how you yeah, made it back a successful business. And like someone like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett with Berkshire Hathaway and their, their, their humongous success as a business, they make long-term commitments 
the things are sustainable. So it's not like a blip and then it goes down. It's like that sustainable thing. So I know that's a roundabout answer. Yeah, nice. All right. Should we try dive into some some trends? So Jason, you've been working in the industry for a long time, like we said, and you're across what people are asking you to research. And obviously you you see the research and you, you analyze it, you interpret it. We're going to talk about some of the trends that you've seen from this year and kind of going into next year. And you've just talked then about it might be the things that haven't changed that is interesting, but also what are those things that are changing and, and how have you seen things? And obviously we've had COVID recently and that's changed a whole bunch of things. We've had AI this year particularly increase. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing? I think it's only talking about coming out of COVID or even sort of what that means. I guess that sort of sense of, yeah, like we're free at last. How do we build from that? And I guess it's really hard to see. I don't know coming out of when you look back at the World War Two and there was that release of having such a horrible sort of period of time and then the boomer generation followed that so people had lots of kids and there was pop culture and music and everything occurred there so maybe it's too soon to see what the outcomes of COVID-19 and the pandemic and being locked at home have been I guess if you, that, that sort of feels like that unsettledness how do businesses evolve how do arts and music and theatre evolve to encourage people to get off the couch and not just watch Stan and Netflix and, and yeah, experience life. I think there's certainly a lot of people got used to the comfort of the couch and now there's more options to feel like you're experiencing art and movies without needing to actually exit the door. So I think a lot of the challenge is really quite basically how do you create new habits to allow people to experience life outside of their house, whether that's payment plans or just ways of locking into the new experiences. Like we do, we've done a lot of work in the music sector. Musicians are desperate to have live performances with people on a local level. So it's, it's really just knowing how do you enable people to just, yeah, just get out and live life. I think a really interesting one is, and we talk about this a lot on the on the podcast is the the sort of interaction with of everyone coming out of COVID and then the emergence of QR codes. Mm. I think that's a I think a good way of thinking about it from from what you're that's saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. And a few years ago, I remember having debates with people, marketers and the like, saying, "Our oh, QR codes will never be a thing." I, I I've always loved QR codes. I think it's just a really clever, simple idea that yeah, that, that's right. Exactly, it just changed the way in which they work. I think what we also see with these kinds of things. So, like in the pandemic case, there was the revenge spending, which was something that happened after. So people have basically saving up literally money, but also saving up their energy. And then as soon as the pandemic was over, we saw this revenge spending. So people going out of their way to just spend money for the sake of spending it. So it sounds like maybe you know, as things have opened up more and people have been on the couch more, how do we get them to revenge experience um, to, to try and put that analogy there? But you're right, going out and seeing live music or going out to a movie or any of those things, which they've had in the comfort of their home. Is there an idea around getting people out of the house? Yeah, in, creating, in creating new norms. And I just, I just sort of touch on one point before we move on, but there is a difference between different demographic segments of the community. Like what we found is that during the pandemic and coming out of it, and even now older demographics felt more competent, yeah, more okay personally with their mental health, but felt more financially insecure. So they were kind of locking down a bit where younger people mental health wise felt really where they were really struggling, but they were actually feeling quite confident financially, kind of had this optimism bias of the future will be better. So it's almost like those different segments of the community respond differently in a pandemic or in an economic or health crisis. Yeah, it's interesting. 
All right. So that's the free at last trend. The next one you've got is uh, woe is me. So what's that one about? Yeah, I think it's just really, maybe it's, maybe it's always been occurring, but I get that sense where there's so much negative news about how hard everything is, like the cost of living, housing prices, the rent crisis. And it's great, like much more focusing on mental health and uh, are you okay? And so much focusing on the individual having the odds stacked against them that they really do feel like they are the victim, which can mean that doing things for other people is less of a focus. So, I mean, that's self-preservation mode or even just, yeah, self-care is much more of a trend. So we're looking after ourselves. So that means that maybe we're we are the victims, so we're not thinking about maybe sometimes who the true victims are in society, where they're maybe disadvantaged through welfare. My understanding is that it's becoming harder and harder for charities to raise money, and that's potentially a lot to do with everybody feels very much like the world's stacking up against me and how do we actually survive this. And even in that global context of the benchmark of how we benchmark ourselves is getting bigger and bigger. So, yeah, I think that just becomes more and more challenging. So I guess maybe the challenge moving forward is how do we manage those complexities we have in our lives, but also know that there are likely other people out there with even bigger problems. So I guess that's really the the challenge moving forward. Do you think media is not to blame, but I think obviously media puts out probably more negative news than positive news. And that's the nature of news. If there's a car accident or if there is a flood, typically that's what's covered as opposed to the cute puppy that walks down the street. Yeah, that's Um, right. But do you think there's maybe an opportunity opportunity around a positive media company, which is all about just the positive news. Yeah. And I think there are certainly have been attempts to do that in groups like uh, Andre Eichmeier's Good Empire, trying to have it so there's some more good vibes and saving the planet. Politics is often won by fear, not hope, which is really scary. So yeah, just knowing, maybe so like knowing the human nature is to really celebrate maybe kind of the other despair. <laughs> How do we give them opportunities maybe to kind of rise above and feel good about things? So do you think that this trend is primarily within younger audiences? I'm doing some innovation work uh, here over in London for a very large charity, actually. It's definitely the talk in the industry is like, it's getting harder to raise money. It's getting harder to get donations. It's definitely a true. And most of the donors of, of most charities are of the older generations and, and they've actually got all the wealth, I think, which is interesting. Um, you know, the younger people, the one with all the struggles, I'd say primarily that, you know, they're the ones potentially saying the whole world is more yeah. trend. I, mean, I think there is that difference. I think, I think that's a really good point, Patrick. And I, we've done a fair bit of work on loneliness. And like, who do you think the loneliest age group is that if you went across adult age groups? What would you say is the loneliest? You know, I'm not sure, actually. 21. Yeah, like I said, 16 to 24. Like they're, they're the loneliest oh. age group by a long way. So really, and what I find is that, and it is that kind of kind of wanting to find their sense of identity. So we had a lot of work where they were at suicide point because they didn't have a sense of identity. And then you speak to the 80 plus year olds where they almost would say life is tough. Sometimes it sucks. So you need to do these things. So that, that resilience gets built up. So it, it is really about kind of how do you build those resilience mechanisms? And the, the reality is that life is getting tougher. So maybe just thinking, well, how do you write above the despair because there's lots of really, really good things that are going on in the world, but it can get very easy to implode. And it's sad about how much loneliness there is amongst young people when they're so digitally connected. Like it just doesn't connect, but yeah, they are. And it's just a, a slight sense of loneliness. And other times it's yeah, getting to suicidal levels or just really impacting their whole future. So, Jason, that has actually blown me away because I literally thought you were going to say it was like 65 year olds or something. God, the loneliest. That is 
So that kind of shocked me. Anyway, it's the irony that we've heard before is that, you know, we're more connected than ever because of social media and the internet, but yet loneliness is, is also higher than ever. So it's this paradox, which, yeah, it's surprising that obviously the younger users of like that 16 to 24 group is probably the most prolific users of social media, yet they're also the most loneliest. It's almost like this inverse relationship between the two. Yeah, it's like that Huda Guru song of what, like, what's my scene and really the loneliness is I don't know where I fit in the world and that kind of causing depression, you know, wow, it's just, that's quite sad, yeah. So that, that innovation in how you overcome those fears, how do you give a sense of comfort for younger people to know what the future would be and it's okay to be yourself? That to me is an innovation. How do you create those things that don't seem to exist so much? Yeah, very cool insight there. All right, let's move on to the next one. So feedback fatigue. Oh, I'll cover this quite quickly, but I think it's just that we like we well, obviously we do we do surveys, we do focus groups and other qualitative work. You can't blink or walk down the street without getting a survey about how how satisfied are you? Is it is it a one or a five or a, and I think they're just over it. They, they just know it's all bullshit. And I've got a fourteen year old daughter that leaves a convenience store with the little buttons at the door and she'll just go and press the lowest one just to kind of kind of as a bit of a joke like people are sort of just seeing it as it's not it's not serious and in a way i think even in the taxis or an uber give them a bad rating they get in trouble or they don't get as many rides so i bought a new phone at telstra recently i was told very clearly when you get the feedback form can you give me a high rating because it's important that i get that for my keeping my job and getting bonuses or whatever it might be and so it came through and i gave him a 10 and said he was amazing he changed my world but he was okay did a good enough job. So it's just knowing what's a way in which moving forward businesses can actually show they genuinely care about gaining feedback. And that's a lot of work we'll do is about how do we show that the feedback is worthwhile and people can see that improvements being made with big businesses and services over time. Otherwise, what's the point of providing feedback? So I think that's a lot of it. People are just inundated with useless surveys that are not going to make any difference. Yeah. Like the way you've described it is almost like you're asking people to like you instead of doing things that get them to just organically like you. It's, it's that almost beg to say, hey, like me. Right. And then like taxi driver or Ubers, they're just doing their job. They did it fine. They got you from A to B. They did it fine. Did they do anything amazing? No, they didn't. But they're doing their job. They're not getting paid much. Give them a break. Before we move on, if you're listening and you've got five seconds, if you could just give us a rating, we'd love to get the five star. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but I, we'll I, take I, the feedback on board. Yeah. I, I did want to ask because, yeah, it is almost artificial or artificially inflating those numbers. And obviously you see it online with Google reviews, for example. Do you have any measurement or insight on how many of those are truly customers commenting or rating or are they the company themselves or are there companies that you can pay to actually go and do the ratings for you? I don't know. I guess we would get feedback on is that word of mouth is still the strongest marketing. It's like we're doing some work across the school system at the moment about what can be done to encourage parents to choose a nearby public school, for example, and word of mouth is key. But you don't listen to all word of mouth because some word of mouth is not valid and some testimonials or feedback is not valid. So you're typically looking for people like me the similar age group or they look legit or they're not always having you can look back and see if they're always making negative feedback on everything i'm not going to listen to them so really i think people are getting more savvy at looking at google reviews and other review sites 
and filtering out the ones that just seem like they're just people that are just serial negative feedback givers. So I, I think we're getting feedback on different, the validity of different feedback. So, but yeah, it's not the how businesses share the positive word of mouth they're getting to potential clients and customers in a way that feels comfort, I think is a really important one. People are filtering. And, and- yeah, interesting. All right, let's move on to the next one. This, you know, we could probably talk about this one for a long time, but uh, Rise of the Robots. Yeah, we're doing some work at the moment around like the, the value of history in schools and in society. And, and, and there seems to be a movement away from valuing, I guess, the critical thinking or looking at history and, and more of a movement towards STEM and technology, which is great. But where we're almost becoming myopic in what we value as a society versus what we don't. Uh, so you kind of add, add in there. Then we look at things like are we undervaluing critical thinking and creativity? We bring in AI, which is wonderful and allows all this power, but potentially it makes us a bit lazy. We, we don't need to think. We can just ask the AI. We can put the question in there. So it's really knowing how, as humans, do we keep our critical thinking, our young people that are going through schools, how do we maintain that critical thinking and yeah, at the same time as sort of using the technology for the, the right reasons. And then I'd also build on how corporates are using AI to remove the humans in service. So how do we how do we use AI in the right way to push us forward, but don't dehumanize the things that we do in life? Yeah. Obviously AI increasingly getting getting better. There's all the open AI stuff that happened recently, you know, there's did they generate or did they create a, a generative AI model that can basically think for itself? So, you know, the old Terminator model. But yeah, you're right. If everything can be done for you and it's going to be more, it's almost going to be more like Star Trek, you know, where you're literally just talking to the ship, you're asking questions and it's coming back and giving you the answer that you need. And so it will be a challenge for this generation or for the next 20, 30 years as we work out how we can work with AI and don't devalue all that history and devalue what we do. Yeah. And every sector has the value of a new technology and how it pushes us forward rather than makes us lazy. And I wonder whether there's potentially we have socioeconomic difference or demographic difference I've talked about before, but it, it potentially have a generation that just becomes lazy and just uses technology to remove thinking. And there'll be other people that will use AI to push their thinking further forward. So it's just knowing how we, we use technology on a corporate side, but also on an individual side to allow us to do better rather than become lazy. And But humans are innately always looking for easier and simpler and a little bit lazy. So we're almost pushing against human nature to seek the simplest route. So that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. We're all, we're always looking for convenience and we're, it's so it's so it's such a weird concept because it's like we don't want to fuck ourselves up, but also every entrepreneur or business or everyone's looking to solve problems all the time. And it's sort of like we're getting so good at solving problems that we're just like causing this other massive problem of of just not being personally able to be productive without the machines, which I for one welcome our AI overlords. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but but yeah, I, I'm not sure about you, but yeah. Yeah, but maybe it's just been aware of like when technology removes the human or the need to think what does that mean maybe it's that critical thinking that we just need to be aware of it's great in some ways in a supermarket if you still go to a bricks and mortar supermarket you don't always need to go through a checkout and have a person but if we always have everything self-serve the cynical side is they're trying to remove the need for people in supermarkets and the traditional job is people are going through high school as they get a job in a supermarket and that's their first job. And so what happens in the future? Disruption's okay until we start disrupting ourselves out of jobs and an economy and whatever. So it's just really been 
maybe mindful of what does this actually mean? And maybe we might find that retailers are going, we're almost anti that. So we're just, we're moving back to being more human and not having technology and AI or having the technology and AI behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, all right. Look, I think we might leave it there. Um, so four trends that we've kind of gone through. So free at last, woe is me, feedback fatigue and rise of the robots. Very interesting. Thank you for coming on, Jason, and giving us those insights. What's the best way that people can get in contact with you if they wanted to? Uh, really go to squareholes.com. That's our website or really Google us. Google me, Jason Dunstone or Squareholes and you'll find us. Excellent. All right. All right. Uh, Thanks, Daniel. That's Thanks, Jason. Awesome.